Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast, a brand new podcast presented by Denver Stiffs. I am your host, Adam Adez, and seated to my left, from Dallas, writer for DenverStiffs.com and HardwoodParoxysm.com, it's Daniel Lewis. Daniel, welcome. Adam, glad to be here. Glad to have you. Seated across from me, a man you might know as G-Money, a.k.a. Gordon Gross, also a writer for Denver Stiffs. Gordon, welcome to the show. Good to be here, man. We are recording live from Jake's Sports and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street in Rhino District, Denver, Colorado. We just got done with Stiff's Night Out here. Um, pretty good time. Could have been a little bit better, but a great bar in, in the Rhino District. If you haven't checked it out, lots of nuggets, memorabilia, some cool stuff, TVs on every wall in the building, and every sports package you could think of. If you're into Australian rules rugby, they probably have that on TV here somewhere. So come check it out, Jake's Food and Spirits. Guys, let's get into it. I'm not going to lie. I kind of had my hopes up. I, I do it every year. I kind of get excited that maybe this is the year we win. We move up in the draft, but it didn't happen. Daniel, what do you think? Was this a, was this a win or a loss, or is this just kind of par for the course for the Nuggets? I, th- I think it's a win in the fact that the Nuggets didn't move down, which is <laughs> something that normally happens to them. But I, I do think that the Nuggets were really hoping to get a – top two or top three pick this year um i think that tim Connolly has talked about that there are multiple players that they like in the draft and that they'll they'll be okay with ending up at number seven which is what happened but i I do think that they would have liked to have gone up and i wouldn't be surprised to see them try to make a move to move up in the lottery um so that they don't end up at seven when the draft comes yeah and i wrote about that a week ago that you know maybe this isn't it for for our hopes at a top two pick i think this is a two top two pick not a top three pick kind of situation um you know maybe they will move up but uh gordon what do you think what, what do you think tim conley's thinking right now is he is he feeling like this is a loss or do you think he's just happy that they didn't go backwards well i think that for the most part the difference between the seventh pick and the tenth pick isn't that big a deal in this kind of a draft right. so i don't think you can consider it a win even though we didn't move down I don't think seven to eight's a big deal. So unless something falls, like if it had been Moutier last year, then seven versus eight's a big deal. Right. Um, it all depends on whether or not someone above you is going to help you out. Uh, but I, I don't expect Tim Conway to sit still with this particular draft and simply hope that another player falls to him. I expect him to try to move up. You know, I thought it was a bad sign when our guy Dikembe Mutombo, fan favorite Nugget, tweeted out that Philly won, and it turns out that was true. So I kind of had hope, I think, you know, for the last month. You just kind of – do you guys ever play the lottery? I know it's the dumbest 
you know, thing you can do, throw a dollar at a $175 million to one chance. But do you guys ever do it, play the lotto when it gets up to like a billion? When it gets to a bunch of money, sure. Yeah, when it gets up, it's just Of course, fun. a million, like a million's not a bunch of money. Right, you know, right, well, right. but I, uh, for me to actually pledge a dollar of my hard-earned wor- wages, I need $100 million right. in return. So you know when you, you, you throw your money away, it's like, okay, I just lost a dollar on the lotto. But you kind of get this like irrational hope in your heart that maybe something good's about to happen and you start thinking about which island you're going to buy. That's kind of how I've been for the last month, thinking, you know, I really love this Nuggets team. Really think Brandon Ingram's going to look good. You wanted to be on Ingram Island. I, was, I, I understand. I think I'm still on Ingram Island. <laughs> I wanted to buy Ingram, Ingram Island. But, um, you know, I'm a little bummed. I uh, 21.2% chance wasn't that great of odds. And actually, it was brought to my attention today. I didn't realize this. The Nuggets had a 17% chance of moving back. So they really had as good a chance of moving forward as they did moving backwards. Didn't happen. It kind of the whole thing went chalk. I don't know that you call it a loss, but it kind of feels like it to me. Um, let's look at the whole draft though, because it did go chalk, and that means every you know there, there weren't any surprises. But even though there weren't any surprises, is there a winner in the draft, Gordon? The Lakers. They got to keep their pick instead of having to cough it up. You know the difference between two and four for them was pick or no pick. So that makes, right. that makes a big deal. So they win that. Even though I'm not sure they're actually going to keep the pick, I think they're still going to be investigating what they can do with it. But right. That'll be a pretty big tr- trade ship. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I think there'll be a lot of teams interested in it. I, I put this out on Twitter, and, and sarcasm doesn't come through on Twitter, but I said, you know, congrats to the Lakers. Your, your fan base has suffered enough. And obviously that's a joke because the Lakers never suffered. And when they do, it's for like a year or two. And sure enough, they luck into two top two picks in two years and back-to-back years. Exactly. The worst franchise, uh-huh. you know, the, this is the worst three years in their history. And they, they managed to, you know, come up with this. Yeah. So uh, what, what do you think, Dan? Who's the, who's the big loser of this draft? I think the big loser is probably the Philadelphia 76ers. Because I think that they, even though they got the number one pick, I think they were hoping. Right that some, somehow the lottery would work out so that they would get an additional top five pick. Right. And as it stands right now, they have number one, and then I think their next pick is 21. So for a team that is looking, it seems like, to kind of accelerate the rebuild process, right. they have the number one pick, which is great, but you know the next one's not until much later in the draft. And for a team that really wants to start winning, I think they really would have been excited to have seen the Lakers pick fall so that they could have gotten that or seen the Kings somehow win the lottery right. um, and they would have been able to flip their swap their pick with them and uh, the, neither none of those things happened and uh, you know the consolation prize of the number one pick is is still a a pretty nice yeah. consolation prize. Yeah, I, th- I think they'll survive. If they're yeah. losers, I but would like to be a loser. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to lose like the Philadelphia 76ers lose. You know, they, they maybe, maybe they end up with a player like Kyrie Irving with the first pick or right. something like that, or maybe they end up with a combo forward like Anthony Bennett right. with the number one pick in, in three years. Right. The player they take is out of the league. It's, it's kind of an interesting question. I didn't think of it till just now, but if you're Philadelphia, just play GM. you uh, I'm Brian Colangelo. Y- well, you're Hinky. I'll just make you Hinky. Okay, I'm Sam Hinky. That's <laughs> depressing. Yeah. No, so you're Hinky, and would you rather have one and that's it, or would you rather have three and four? If I'm Sam Hinky, I think I'd want number one because I already had a try at number three, and that didn't work. It didn't work out very well. Yeah. So I, 
I, if I was Sam Hinkie, if incapable of human motion, I'd be happy that I got the number one pick. Right. Let me ask you this, because we were talking about the Lakers. They, of course, have Randall. They've got uh, D'Angelo Russell. They've got Jordan Clarkson, and they've got now a number two pick. That'll probably be Brandon Sim- Simmons, Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram. Do they have a better young core than the Nuggets now? No. No. Th- that easy? No. No. Uh, now, that may be my personal feelings on uh, D'Angelo Russell being a 14-year-old girl and um, Julius Randle... <sighs> I am not a fan of his game. Okay. Uh, I think he taps out at Fareed. Like, if Fareed is the third best player on my team, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So telling me that you've got D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle it doesn't help me at all. Their first pick may help them, but if it's if it winds up being Ben Simmons, well, he plays the same position as Julius Randle. Right. So now you put a guy on your bench, and maybe he should be on your bench. That's what I think of him. But that doesn't help you. Now you still only have two good starters, you know, and maybe you keep some of the other pieces you had this year, but that got you 17 wins, so so okay. what? Well, we're going to get back to some Nuggets talk because that's what you're here for, but I won't, But this kind of ties into the Nuggets. Y- you mentioned, you know, there's a good chance that, that Ingram will go number one. A lot of people have it really neck and neck. Ben Simmons, I think, has the edge. But if you're Philadelphia, I think Ingram probably fits their roster. There's a chance. Ben Simmons really wants to play in L.A. He's, he's kind of been leaking things like that you know through right. the media and stuff for a while now so he could try to force his way to LA if you're the Lakers does that make Randall tradable does that make a lot of their pieces tradable do you think they're going to be a team that's looking to to make some moves before the draft I I don't think the Lakers are in a position where they want to take a lot of time to rebuild and add young players and tell their fans you know in three years we're going to be contending for the eight seed and it's going to be a thrilling ride as we improve from 16 wins to 25 wins and then the 35 wins and then the 42 wins i get aboard buy the season tickets um so i could see them taking that number two pick and possibly packaging randall and that number two pick for uh, a player that might play within the same state such as demarcus cousins uh or for another kind of superstar to try to really add some star power to their team and they have a lot of free agents or uh, cap space to sign a free agent this off season, and you know they they will likely be interested in Demar Derozan, and I think if you had a team of D'Angelo Russell and Jordan Clarkson and Demarcus Cousins, like that, that's a pretty exciting team, and you can add some free agents who are interested in playing in Southern California and kind of accelerate going from 16 to 25 to 16 to 44 wins. Right. You know that's a lot of growth, but they have a new coach and. You add a couple of new star players and get people excited to watch the Lakers in that area again. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that I don't think Luke Walton signed on for four years of reconstruction. Right. Uh, I just I don't see it. It's the Lakers. They sell you Showtime if you're going to pay those season ticket prices. Right. Uh, there's no more Kobe anymore, and nobody's paying that to go watch Clarkson. You know, right. heave up some balls. It's right. they're going to have to do more, right. and so this helps. This this uh, this pick is absolutely vital for them. And at the same time, it, it does nothing for getting them where they want to be next year. And, that, and I think you guys are both right. And the reason I bring them up is because they were one of the teams that I thought all along, if they had a top two pick, you know, nobody trades a top two pick. It almost never happens. They were one of the teams that made me think, well, maybe they would pay to make, trade it. And if not, maybe they were just interested in trading some of their other young assets. And I would like to see Denver at least make a push for that. Um, I for think the Los Angeles pick? 
uh, for the Los Angeles pick or for somebody on their roster now that maybe could help the team. And um, Endeavor just being a facilitator of that trade. You look at a guy like Gallo, who's got one year left on his deal with right. a player option. Uh, Chandler, Fareed, I think, uh, you know, maybe would, would garner some interest. And they can make a short-term push. You also mentioned Boogie. If there's if there's a big blockbuster deal where they're like, you know what, forget this three year, you know, these nineteen year and twenty year olds. Let's try to go get Demarcus Cousins and surround him with some reliable role players. The Nuggets have that, and I think they would be a nice third team to kind of try to facilitate a trade with with the Lakers. Do you think this is going to be something that gets discussed at least by media people and, and maybe picks up steam towards the draft? Yeah, I could see the Nuggets being involved in a lot of trade rumors. Like you mentioned, they have some veteran players that can be a contributor to a winning team. All you have to do is look back a couple of years, and these same players help the Nuggets get to 55 wins right? and can be a, an exciting team in the postseason, the three seed, uh, before they were knocked off by uh, a team with Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Uh, but you know, still players like Gallinari and Chandler and Freed, they can help a team win and get into the postseason and be – valuable veterans on that team so yeah I, I definitely see them being involved in a lot of trade rumors this summer absolutely and i uh, i agree with you that it's probably going to be more of a third team you know we're going to add some more right. players and see what happens yeah that's how i see it um but i certainly think that we're going to be involved in that tim Connolly knows he's going to have to work um the seven the seven pick is not what he wanted um, but if he can move up in this draft, if he can exchange some pieces for some other long-term pieces, yeah, I think he's at, we're absolutely going to make a trade. I do not expect to stand pat with all of our draft picks. Well, that brings me to this question. So we have number seven, we have 15, and we have 19. You package all three of those. How high does that get you in the draft? I don't think that it gets you the number two pick because the team with the number two pick needs I, the player. I think no chance it gets you number two. No. Um, I think it's more likely that they would package the seven and a player for uh, like maybe the four and a player. So something gotcha. like Fareed and the seven for uh, Brandon Knight and the four from the Suns. Right, right. And that puts you somewhere you know, where you are making an exchange of value and you move up a couple of picks to make sure you can get a shooter. Um, and the Suns get some things that they need. You right. can you can work that out. We have extra picks. You could get another pick in this draft if they wanted it, because like the Lakers, they're still building a lot of things. They may want a, another pick, right. even though they have two in the lottery. But it, there are there are ways you could move around to make that happen. But I don't think by itself you can trade the fifteen and nineteen in this draft to add it to the seven to get up too high. I I think a team that the Nuggets might be interested in talking to about moving up potentially is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And oh, that could be tricky because in they're in inside the division, yeah. and that usually doesn't work out very well. But the Nuggets have done in-division trades in the last two seasons with the Portland Trailblazers and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Right. So with Tom Thibodeau at, as the head coach and general manager president of the right. Timberwolves, um, and a, a coach that we know can get a team that has veteran players into the playoffs, um, I think that if you did a combination of seven and then one of the other two picks, 15 or 19, uh, ideally I think 19 right. rather than 15. But I think the Nuggets could go see if a package of seven and 19 for the number five pick and move up and put themselves in range of getting someone like Jamal Murray or Buddy Heald rather than sitting at seven and watching those two players go off the board at five or five or six right before they can get a chance at them. 
I think that might be a team that would be interested in trading down, especially if the Nuggets were able to throw a veteran player that Thibodeau could trust and say, hey, I know that this guy is going to be able to play NBA defense. And, you know, it's a, as a consolation, I'm also going to be getting two young rookies that I can put on the bench and uh, help with the second unit. Is there the key there is that veteran. Who on the Nuggets roster right now is a Tibbs-style player? Chandler. Wilson Chandler. Mm. Now, what the problem is, is he's not healthy, so he has no value. His value is probably not too high. Correct. I love Chandler, man. I mean, I know he pro- he's not going to be a Nugget forever. He's got another two years likely on his deal because he'll probably exercise his player option. I just want to see I just want to see one season of him playing alongside <laughs> I, Gary Harris. I, I would love to see that. Now, I'm, to be fair, Chandler is also a uh, Michael Malone player. So, yeah. I, I'm not that worried that he can't fit here. Chandler is perfect for what Malone needs for a Swiss Army Knife you know, wing player. So that would be great for us. But, but if, if he's a player that gets along with someone like Michael Malone, how well do you think someone like Tom Thibodeau is going to want to play alongside him? Yeah. <laughs> so there, I, think that, I think that that would be an option that the Timberwolves front office might be interested in. Um, you know, it is in the vision, so it's a more difficult sell right. um, trading with one of the teams that you're competing the most with. But I do think that that would be a team that the Nuggets should be interested in talking to. Well, I'll tell you what. We, you know, we've just spent 10 minutes or 12 minutes or so here talking about trades. Likely is that we're just going to keep our picks, at least that number seven pick, and we're just going to roll with what's there. And there are some players there. Buddy Hield, I think, is everybody, you know, a lot of, I'm kind of shocked that at this moment a lot of mock drafts have him as number seven. and That still surprises me. I don't expect it to last, but yeah. Yeah, but if he's – hey, if Buddy Heald is here next year, we have Gary Harris at that spot, but Buddy Heald will get minutes. He'll be, he'll be the backup shooting That guard. would be fine. And they, would, they didn't have any problem running three guards out there with uh, DJ Augustine. Right. So they would be more than happy to run three guards out there with Buddy Heald. That's an exciting addition, isn't it? Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts? Just if we, if we add him, if we added Heal, that would that's about the best that we can think of for uh, the seventh. Um, I I think that would work very very well for our need in shooters uh, because we desperately have to have somebody who can fill it up, and he does that. So regardless of his age, and people are bothered by the fact that he's going to be a 22-year-old rookie. Right. There have been other 21, 22-year-old rookies who've gone on to have pretty good careers. Steph Curry. Uh, yeah, he did all right. <laughs> he's, he's been okay. He, he's, he's all right. Uh, so, and it's not like Steph didn't grow his game as well in his mid, you know, early to mid-20s. Right. So it's not that Buddy Heald's a finished product. Steph wasn't. Right. Uh, the idea that you can't grow as a player isn't there. It's just that you don't get as long of a peak. But if I can get a peak right. that is what we need, then what do I care? So, yeah, Buddy Heald would be great. And Buddy Heald's going to get minutes, and it, we'll at least get to know what kind of player he is next year. Dan, what do you think about him? About Buddy Heald? Yeah. I, I mean, he can fill up the scoreboard. Uh, he has in the NBA? In the NBA. He's been taking NBA three-pointers at That's Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma had a really great offense. You know, they were, they'd move the ball around. They had a couple guards in their lineup, and... They had a couple guards that were shooting above 40% behind the three-point line. Right. Uh, so that, that also helped space the floor for Buddy Heald. But, you know, he's not just a, a three-point chucker. Right. Uh, he was able to pump and get guys into the air and drive into the lane and finish. Uh, he's a very exciting player to watch. It's interesting because, you know, the Augustine and Moutier combo was nice. And then it was nice because it was another shooter on the floor and it was another playmaker on the floor. And Buddy Heald's kind of... I mean, we don't know what he'll be, but I think his his ceiling projects to be sort of a super, uh, super DJ Augustine. Exactly. So I kind of think that the Moutier heel combo could could kind of be 
be kind of nice. Um, what other players, though? Because, you know, like you said, Heald is in the seven range, which is where we're at. But what other players are on the board at that spot that, that interests you? Well, I think seven, I think Gordon brought this up, like seven is not really where Tim Connolly wanted to be because a lot of the players that are semi-exciting are kind of gone at that point. You're at seven. Murray, Jamal Murray is exciting. Jamal Murray, he's, he's an exciting guy. Gone, probably gone. So you're looking at, you know, a center that out of Utah, Jakob Pertl, you know, uh, yeah. that's not really exciting. He got murdered by Sabonis. Yeah, not really an exciting option or and some more foreign options or you have stretch fours like Marquise Chris that's been moving up draft boards yeah, that uh, more more. a freshman that uh, at the University of Washington but uh, or the, a French wing Timothy Luluawu uh, but a lot of these guys have some serious red flags yeah. with the seventh pick you know at the seventh pick you're hoping to try to find a player that can be a starter and a lot of these guys you're looking at maybe keeping them on the bench for one or two seasons and seeing what they have and yeah they may be starters eventually but they probably won't be starters yeah, next year there's a lot of risk in that right. uh, and so you're taking you're definitely taking a more of a risk when you go with somebody like marquise chris who's one of the youngest players in the draft you can't count on him he has so much growth to get he has a lot of talent he has a lot of upside but uh, at the seven then you're trying to go with an upside pick instead of a guy that you can slot and know what he's going to give you you know, last year, the whole month leading up to the draft, basically at this point last year, Moutier was a top four or five guy. I didn't right. even have him on my radar because as I was doing, you know, doing all the preparation, every mock draft had him three, four, some guys had him two, five. I didn't, just didn't see him falling. So, I mean, maybe there's a chance. A guy like Jamal Murray really, you know, he excites me. I think he's another guy that could be like Buddy Hill, light it up from three, make, be a playmaker. So maybe we'll get a guy, maybe a Chris Dunn or somebody that is projected really high right now. That kind of Dragon Bender. Dragon Bender, yeah, exactly. We could keep the international thing going. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm, we're going to have obviously a lot more draft stuff. I think for, for the next five weeks. I, I we're think we. Be I think we have time. Yeah, yeah, we have time to talk about so it. This is just kind of instant reacts, but you know the Nuggets pick actually was number nine, but because we had a deal. With the Knicks, we swapped picks and got them at number seven, and that deal was the last piece of the Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony trade way back in 2010, 2011? 2011. 2011. So it's been five years since we traded Carmelo Anthony, and we're still – we're just now done with the deal. So I thought it would be kind of interesting to go back and, and look at who won the, the Carmelo Anthony trade. Let's, let me just rehash this a little bit, and I'm going to leave out a few pieces because there were some, like, weird, you know. The, the trade was huge. It was a massive trade. It's kind of a fascinating case study in trading superstars. The number of pieces that moved in that trade it's were. Absurd. Uh, yes. Um, so the Nuggets lost Carmelo Anthony, Chauncey Billups. Rest in peace. <laughs> a AC lost him. Ronaldo Balkman, Sheldon Williams. Uh, what we received was Wilson Chandler, Danilo Gallinari, Raymond Felton. Timofey Mozgov, Costa Kufis, a 2014 first-round draft pick, which we used to acquire Andre Iguodala, and the pick number seven that we got today, which actually moved us up to two spots. So the Nuggets, I mean, it's like 12 pieces I just read off that we got. Um, let me go over a couple of, of, of what's happened since then. The Knicks were in the playoffs for three years. They got swept in two of those years. And in one of those years, they won 54 games in the regular season. This is 2013, and they made the second round. The Nuggets got swept, uh, lost in the first round all three seasons we made the playoffs. 
We had a record 57 wins, and then we've had two two losses. Who won the Mellow Trade, or is there a winner? I don't think any other team has traded their superstar and got what we got from Mellow, which is basically equivalent value. Right. Like, we didn't lose anything in the trade. If you look at the amount of players and the amount of win shares between all the players, and right. whatever, it comes out about even. We... We managed to get back what Mello was worth, which almost never happens in these trades. Right. So in that circumstance, I think you have to consider the Nuggets winners. Right. It also remade the roster, got them younger, much younger, um, and allowed you to still have pieces that are from that trade that are here today that are important pieces. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Knicks, they don't have anything except for Carmelo. Exactly. Um, they well, I wanted to interject. They, they also do have Kristaps Porzingis. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, but but not by virtue of that trade. They oh, okay, yeah, by virtue of the trade, yeah. But yeah. Uh, and actually, it's kind of interesting because the Knicks and Nuggets both are, they've kind of had the same cycle and where they were kind of ascending for three years after the deal and then had two years of darkness, and now they have a little bit of light. Them with Kristaps, us with Moutier and, and Jokic and Nurkic. Um, what do you think, Dan? Who Did somebody win that deal? I honestly I think that both teams won the deal because the Nuggets knew that they were going to be losing Carmelo Anthony right. and they made the best out of the situation and Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks knew that they wanted to be together and they're still Carmelo's still playing for the Knicks and that's where he wants to be in New York City playing there. Right. Um but so for the last 5 years I think that both teams have won the trade. However, for the next 3 years, for the next 5 years, I think that the Nuggets are going to be the better team. Um, and yeah, I, I'm saying that with you know blue and yellow glasses. Right. Um, but <laughs> other than Carmelo and Kristaps, the Knicks really don't have anything. They're not getting any help this off season in the draft. Right. Uh, they they made some free agent signings. Well, they do last have season. Kurt Rambis. Yeah, and they, you know they have Phil Jackson, the, coach of the year, bringing back the triangle. <laughs> but I I think if you were objectively looking, that you would say that the Nuggets have a brighter future for the next couple of years than the Knicks do. Right. And so while the the trade worked out great for both teams, um, I think that the Nuggets will have eventually made the most out of that situation um, because they've been aggressive trading and constantly looking to improve, whereas the Knicks have kind of bungled their way into a situation where they have a superstar player, something that the Nuggets don't have, but they're, they haven't been able to achieve anything more than the Nuggets have. Right. I think, you know, in law school, I've never been, so, but I, in law school, you have, like, you study cases. Like, this is an important case because of the way it went down, right. so we're going to study how this case happened because it teaches us about this process. I think this is a, a case study in tra- superstar trades because I think both, you know, if you went back in time, I'm not sure that either team would take the trade now. I think the Knicks would just say, you know what, Carmelo, play out the year. We're going to sign you in free agency. And we don't need to have you in, in January or December. Whenever the trade went down, we'll just get you in, in June. And we'll still have Gallo. We'll still have Wilson Chandler, Mozgov, Kufis. Picks. That's exactly what they should have done. Yes. And that's what they should have done. It seems so silly now. You always have the benefit of hindsight to say, just be patient. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I, I, I do think Denver probably would have done the pick. So in that – or the trade. So in that light, I guess you could say they won um, the deal. The other thing I'll say about that trade is – the Mellow era, se- era seems so long ago to me. Um, it was five years ago, and both teams were kind of in a state of arrested development, it seems, for a couple years because, you know, you t- I tend to look at teams as eras, and we had 10 years of the Carmelo or eight years of the Carmelo era here in Denver. 
Then we had this short stint where it was Gallo and George Carl and Kenneth Fareed and Andre Iguodala, but that's not even an era. That's more of just a stop. It's a stopgap. Sure. And now we're in the Moutier-Jokic era, which is a whole new era that looks to be going on for a while. I think the Knicks probably feel the same way. They had the Isaiah Thomas era and before, and they had the stopgap where nothing really happened. They had Carmelo, but they didn't have anything else, and now maybe they're in the Chris Stapps era. Do you guys see that at all? Um, I would believe you. Yes, that they are. They're definitely all in on the Kristaps era. I don't know. I don't know what else they have, um, or that they're going to have. So it may be only the Kristaps era, which may not be what they want it to be. Right. It may be. Uh, um, it's not even like when Dirk was in Dallas early in his career. They had still had stuff in Dallas. Right. Yep. I'm really excited for the New York Post front page. <laughs> During the uh, Kurt Rambis era, oh my I think goodness. that those are going to be, I guess it's probably more back page of the New York Post, <laughs> uh, but those are going to be some fascinating back covers that to read during the Kurt, Am- Kurt Rambis era. That's really going to happen, isn't it? They're really going to they're really gonna take Kurt Rambis to... I don't know who else is going to run the triangle. So unless someone can talk uh, Frank Vogel into hiring Kurt Rambis as his offensive assistant... Which he might. He uh, uh, Vogel might do it. That is their best hope. Hey, it's 2016. 1998 has never been more in style. <laughs> yeah. And it isn't, and you know, here's the one thing I'll say about Phil. He's always smart. I'm, I'm a big Phil critic, especially in the, you know, he's a guy that seems like he hasn't evolved as the game has, but he's smarter than I give him credit for. I'm always reminded of that. I think he plays games with the media. I don't think he has, I think he doesn't care at all what guys like you or me think. And he'll say things like, oh, we're running the triangle, but then behind closed doors, well, we're going to run elements of the triangle, but we're also going to do, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing some games here. Um, well, that's, that's some good nuggets to talk about. Like I said, we're going to have a lot of draft stuff coming up on the site coming up. I think we're going to have some series going. We're going to be breaking down every player. We've got guys watching European film doing some cool stuff. Um, but I want to move on to the conference finals because there's some stuff that ties into nuggets uh, in that regard. You mean like watching the Raptors get blown out in a way that the Nuggets would manage in previous years? Well, you know, there was we had Stiff's Night Out tonight, which isn't always the, the, the most focused environment for watching, but we did get to catch at least three quarters of the game tonight. It was ugly. Is there anything worth talking about? Let me just put it that way. We can move quickly. Is there anything worth talking about in the series? Uh, in the Raptors series, I think it is commendable that they reached the conference finals and that they are the second best team in the East, and I think that that doesn't make any difference at all, and they're about to get destroyed. So, not particularly. I, I feel bad for the Raptors. You know, this this is the first time that they've advanced this yeah. far into the playoffs right. in their franchise history, and if this series would be over in three games if the rules allowed for that, <laughs> yeah. because if, if if game two and game three and game four, anything like game one, uh, just, you know, find your friends and your loved ones and find something else to do when this game is on. And we can't overreact just to the outcome of one game. We saw San Antonio beat Oklahoma City just as Absolutely. bad in the first one. But this feels different. This doesn't feel like two even teams where anything can happen. This they is don't have the pieces, yeah. and they don't have the coaching to be able to take apart the LeBron James team. They right. don't have it. Um, they don't have the matchups. Uh, I would be very hard-pressed to see them. Maybe they can win a game in Toronto off of some energy and some bad shooting by Cleveland. I don't expect it. Um, but, yeah, if it goes more than 4-1 in this series, I'll be shocked. Game two is only going to be the 10th game that the Cavaliers have played this postseason this as well. Because they swept the first two rounds. Yeah. And if they sweep this round as well... The Western Conference Finals looks like it's going to be a thrilling series that could easily yeah. go with seven games. Right. And so LeBron is going to be able to go home, 
and watch the conference final, Western Conference Finals and rest. And You're making this sound like a good thing. Is this a good thing? Is this, this is 100% a good thing just to sweep and go home and rest and, and get, get ready? I, I think it's a great thing. They, they've, they responded well in game one tonight after ex- yeah. some getting some rest. And uh, I think that you know when they make it to the NBA Finals, I feel confident saying that, that, that the Cavaliers are going to make that. I think that that's going to make the NBA Finals better because when LeBron is rested and that's able true. to be at his full, his full ability – and that makes that means that whoever they're going to play, the Thunder or the Warriors, that it's going to be a much more competitive series. I certainly hope so because this whole premise of the Eastern Conference is better this year. Ooh, wow, much more competitive <laughs> has obviously been blown away right. in this particular playoffs. So yes, it's more competitive, but it's that doesn't make it better. Right. Um, yeah, there's not much else to say about this. I mean, I do wonder. You mentioned they, this is their ninth game now. They're probably going to sweep or maybe go five. They have a lot of rest. They're not really tested. And they're going to run into another buzzsaw in Golden State or, or Oklahoma City. Both teams are, I think, you know, historically worthy contenders. You know? Absolutely. So they're, it's just so weird to go from three cakewalks right into to being ready for that. We'll, we'll see what it brings. If, if Oklahoma City makes the finals, they'll have beaten – uh, Rick Carl, Rick Carlisle, and the Dallas Mavericks, right. and in what was a competitive series, albeit a very, very, very bad Dallas team. Sure, right, Under but Rick, you know, but never doubt, never doubt Rick Carlisle. Then they went six games with the San Antonio Spurs. Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich, a, a very exhausting and exciting series, and then beating the Golden State Warriors. Like they're going to be very well prepared to face the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, the Warriors they had a little bit easier road going through Memphis and then Portland. Right. Uh, and then you know the Thunder. If they beat them, that it's going to be looks like it's going to be a heck of a series. But right. you know, I think we'll see right. how that prepares them for the Cavaliers. I think I would rather be battle tested in the conference final. It's cool that you sweep the early ones; nobody gets hurt. But I think you would rather have one good test that teaches you something about yourself before you get there. At one point, you would think they'd like to be pushed because yeah. all year they haven't been pushed. The only times they were pushed is when they played the West and they got beat up. Cleveland the Cavaliers or the Warriors? The Cavs. Oh, okay. Cavs were clowning them today. They were, I mean, oh, they yes. weren't trying to embarrass them, but they just—it was like when you're playing with with your kid brother, you know, not even your younger brother, just with with your kid brother that's ten years younger. Um, Toronto could have played twice as well and still lost by twenty. Right. It, right. Uh, the the Cavs had plenty more in the tank. They just were jogging it out for the last half of the game. Let's get let's get to the more interesting matchup, which was OKC Golden State. I was blown away. I, I mean, I, th- I thought OKC looked great against San Antonio. They kind of won me over, but I still think this Golden State team's historic. I'm on record now saying it's 50-50. I think it's anybody's game, and that's not just because of one game and, and you know what happens, because I think Oklahoma City is playing their best basketball of the year. They were already a good team, and they have two great players. Daniel, what, what, do, you, what do you think is going to happen here in well, game two and in the rest of the series? I, I picked the Thunder in seven. That's right, you did. Um, you I'm feeling a little bit more confident about that. I, I felt... <laughs> Pretty foolish making that after you pointed out some of the <laughs> the uh, uh, things going into the series, but I, I think that um, there's a real shot that the, sh- the Thunder could pull us off. Um, they show that they have the length with Andre Robertson and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook to defend on the perimeter, and Billy Donovan stuck to his guns and played Enos Kanter and Sergi Ibaka and Stephen Adams, just having two of those three on the court, so that they were able to. Uh, gathered defensive rebounds and offensive rebounds, and they really stuck to their game plan, and they executed and they won. And um, I know Gordon and I were talking about this earlier tonight, but 
Durant and Westbrook did not have a very efficient night shooting right. the basketball. Definitely um, could have done better. Like you know, Durant, looks Durant missed like eight straight sh- shots in the fourth quarter. Westbrook had a terrible first half um, and then responded in the third quarter, and Durant had a big shot late. But I don't know if you can count on Kevin Durant to miss 20 out of 30 field goal attempts every game. Some easy buckets, too. Like he had really good Some wide-open open shots. And, and, it, you know, and the Warriors missed some wide-open right. shots as well, but... You know, and Kevin Kevin Durant is a very good shooter, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you can expect both teams to play better in game two. Uh, the Thunder can play better and the Warriors can play better, and I think it's just going to make for a very exciting game two and uh, the rest of the series. I just thought it was interesting to see Golden State finally have to face somebody right. who could challenge them and who didn't go away when they got punched in the face. Right. Um, Oklahoma Portland, City. Portland stepped up and played good, but they were they, always less talented. Yes, they were always chasing. Yeah. And Oklahoma City, I guess, was pursuing, which is different. They they ran them down, right? As as you would, you know, as a hunting animal, and you're out there chasing your gazelle, and you, I love you these catch metaphors. It. These are great. You just <laughs> it, they they ran them down in the field, and it was great to watch them come back out of halftime, make their adjustments, um, and execute. Uh, just simply refused to go away. They did that against the Spurs, and I think that that showed them as a team something that they didn't have before, and maybe that was the entire reason to bring in Billy Donovan was for this kind of an experience in the playoffs, and the regular season didn't really matter. They, they played the same in the regular season either way. It wasn't important for him to be there, but in these games, he certainly seemed to have the right buttons to push to make sure that in, in the Spurs series and in this first game... He knew what was going on. I'm with you. I think it's a 50-50. Um, I, don't, I didn't think that Oklahoma City... Tomorrow before, night's going to be exciting. Yes. It's going to be a big game. Yes. Well, and I'm curious to see how Golden State responds now to the fact that they did cough up the game, that they did not expect to cough up. Right. They had the lead, and they choked. Right. And that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And I, I would not be surprised if the Warriors won the series in five games. <laughs> you know that that's how good they were this season. That's you know, how they could the series. Is. They they right. could just go and win the series in five games. But I think one thing that some people may have forgotten about this Thunder team is that this you know they have this is not their first time in the conference finals. Right. This is not their second right. time in the conference finals. You know they made an NBA finals with relatively the same core of Ibaka, Durant, and Westbrook, and these guys have been winning in the playoffs for a long time. You know, they've had some great series. They had, you know, last season they missed the playoffs, but it was more because Kevin Durant was injured. You know, this team has been in the postseason and won, and when they're healthy, they know how to win games, you know, late in the season when it matters. Let me ask you, we, we thought going into the San Antonio-Golden State matchup that will never happen now, um, we thought, you know, it's going to be such a battle. It's three-point shooting versus big, you know, bang you down low in the post and, and, and score. That's kind of what's going to happen in this series. I it mean, still it, is. It still is because you have Adams and Cantor who are just monsters inside. Um, How terrifying does Steven Adams look too as well, defending on the perimeter. He's oh my become gosh. one of my favorite players. He's, I, I'm not Absolutely. kidding. He's, he's top 20 favorite players to watch, maybe top 15 right now. With that long hair and the mustache, yeah. he's just flying around. It's Well, and, and I've said this before, but I when people want to know what Nurkic's and this is upside is, I am curious to see whether they would be happy with this year's Steven Adams right. as a Nurkic outcome. He doesn't score all the time. He doesn't rebound everything. But the man makes a difference, and he has quick feet. So He's incredibly strong. Let's it's go through their skill sets real quick because Adams, what makes Adams good is that he's really, really strong. One of the strongest absolutely. guys in the league. 
Nurkic, one of the strongest guys in the league. I think Adam's a lot more nimble, kind of side to side, left to right. But Nurkic has um, really good instincts, and and even though he's slower, he d- there's no wasted movement, at least on the defensive end. I'm not sure that he is quicker. I just think that Nurkic stays more within himself. He doesn't make aggressive moves. He just waits, and then he blocks you from behind right. and mocks you when you fall down. Right. That's, and that's Adams <laughs> has some of that in him, too. I mean, exactly. They both have that sort of nasty, arrogant streak, which I love right. in a player, especially a big man. I want you to believe that the pain is yours and no one should come in and bother you. That makes me happy. And the other big thing, I think, the biggest difference between Adams and, and Nurkic is just the finishing at the rim. I mean, Adams has turned into Absolutely. an elite. I don't know if I want to say elite, but at least in these playoffs he's been an elite. He's able to get it done. Yeah. They can rely on him. And so, you know, Durant has all that gravity. Westbrook has all that gravity. There's a lot of drop-offs. And even if there's a little bit of contact, he just goes up strong. Nurkic has to get that. I mean, of all the passing, shooting, all this other stuff he has, it's – if that develops, great, but he just needs to finish. I Finishing is the most important part, yeah. yeah. You, you also have to be patient with Nur- Nurkic because, you know, Steven Adams was drafted uh, three, four years ago with by the Houston Rockets and then traded. Right. No, he was I think he was drafted by the Thunder. He was part of the Harden oh, deal. Yeah, but he was drafted, he was drafted by the Thunder. Um, but, you know, his second season, he wasn't able to do these things. It's Correct. taken right. him a couple years to really gain that trust and that chemistry with Westbrook and Durant where the, he can set screens and roll, and he knows, you know, if the defender goes this way, just by, just a couple steps, okay, I'm going to slip and go to the rim, and my teammates are going to throw up a lob, and I can just finish with nobody around me. Nerd. And that, that kind of development takes big men a lot longer. You know, you talk about how big men usually peak around age 26. You know, Nurkic is 21 years old. Right. So he's still, he, he still has one or two more seasons, I think, until you expect him to kind of be at that Adams level. But with and the physical gifts that he has, he is, you think... We still don't quite yeah. know what Nurkic is. Uh, but I think, I think that it that's not a unfair comparison to make uh, right. with Nurkic and Adams, just mainly because of their physical strength. But I would be perfectly content with uh, Nurkic developing into that kind of a player for the Nuggets. He's an impact player. Yeah. You got to... There's always the saying in sports, you got to eat your veggies first. Nurkic's veggies are just finishing at the rim, and if I'm if I'm the, he's got the great he's got great touch on his shot. He makes great passes. If I'm the Nuggets GM, I sit down with him, look him in the eye, and you just tell him, "This is what you have to do. We're going to let you shoot threes. We're going to let you shoot from the elbow. We're going to let you handle the ball in the offense, and, and, and you know, kind of be the pivot point at the elbows like they, they like to let Jokic do, but not until we know you could finish. Because you once do you do that, that first, once yeah. you do that, then all those other parts of your game are going to flavor the rest uh, you know really nicely finishing at the rim is the single most important thing that the nuggets can do i don't care about the three-point shooting at this point i can add more shooters for that if moutier can finish at the rim if now harris did better at the end of the year than he did to start at actually finishing what he was doing at the drives you know nurkic at the rim we missed more shots at the rim than any team in the league go finish what you started and everything will be okay for this team right and it's kind of cool to see the Twin Towers lineup. I mean, I don't think Cantor and Jokic are comparable. I think they're very, very different. Those are different players. Styles, yeah. But, um, but it, it's still two bigs. And right. you're playing against the team that exploits two bigs more than any team in the history of basketball. But Cantor still made an impact in this game, and he did, it and, and he did okay. I you have to trust your players. You yeah. have to know that your strength, if your strength is going to be that you have two monstrous big men, then you had better figure out how to play those two monstrous big men all the time and not let the other team dictate to you. Let's uh, let's move on to Billy Donovan because he's been he's kind of been one of the main stories of the playoffs at least for me because he t- he took a lot of criticism 
y- y- criticizing coaches, I think, is is probably the most off base basketball Twitter is <laughs> basketball <laughs> blogging, basketball Twitter because these coaches are by and large almost to ev- to a man, assistant coaches, everything smarter than all of us. They have more experience than all of us. They know things. We might point out something that they're missing. We might see some of their you know their fallacies or things. This, but they're smart. Billy Donovan got criticized all year, and he had some interesting quotes because he said, essentially, I was experimenting in the regular season. Absolutely. And the implication was, I know what our team is now, thanks to my experimenting, and now I know what to do against each team, and it's, I think he's right. Well, and that's what I was hoping that Malone was doing a lot of this year, right. um, was trying to figure out who can come in and be a spark, who can... Um, do things that I need done. And he did change up his rotations by the end of the year and was saying, nope, I know my bench needs another shooter. i got to bring Harris back off the bench earlier. I still I, wish he would have gone with more Jokic lineups. Nurkic-Jokic combo He had lineups. to get talked into that. I don't know who had to twist his arm to make that happen, but he should have done it earlier. The one thing I wonder if Malone's going to kick himself for, he was playing with house money this year. The Nuggets weren't going to fire him after one year. Right. Nothing that could have happened, I think, would have damaged his reputation here because there was no expectations. This was the year for him to experiment with that kind of stuff and just say, you know what, I don't care if we beat the Lakers tonight. I want Jokic and Nurkic to play until Jokic learns how to defend fours, until we learn how to do this. And I don't think he did that. I'm very curious. Number one thing I'm most curious about is how he approaches this next year in terms of is it going to be a true development year? I, I think we really need to ask the basketball gods to give Michael Malone a full, healthy roster yeah, for fair. a full 82. Well, absolutely. As healthy as can be for an 82-game season because Michael Malone used the entire offseason as the Nuggets head coach you know, without having coached any of these guys in the regular season before. And then in the preseason, he loses Wilson Chandler. Right. And then... Who was looking you know, phenomenal, too, in preseason. And then... You know, we lose Danilo Gallinari shortly after the All-Star break. Right. And he has to go an entire month without Emmanuel Moutier in December. And Nurkic and missed the first half Nurkic of the is season. out for two months. Yeah. And then Jameer Nelson, his veteran point guard that he right. had all offseason to work with, misses a ton of time with a wrist injury and back injuries. And Kenneth Freed's out with back injuries. You know, and we could go on and on talking about the Nuggets injuries. So, yeah, he did have house money and he could experiment. But... When you're starting Jakar Sampson and you're bringing Axel Dupont off the bench, I, I'm not really sure <laughs> like how much more experimentation you can do beyond those beyond those two. Well, moves. and he didn't trust Nurkic either. Um, there was obviously something happening this year with Nurkic when he first returned because there were reasons that co- the coach wasn't playing him. He said he didn't practice; he's not going to play. There was some definite pushback happening there of. Uh, Nurkic wanting to play and Malone telling him you have to do things the right way first. Eat your veggies, like you right. said, and I'll let you play. And and I think Nurkic came around, by the way. I believe. I believe that, too. Um, let's go to this last one, guys. I'm watching Cleveland play, and they look transcendent. I'm, looking, I'm watching Oklahoma City play, and they look like a, you know another historic great team. Golden State, obviously, 73 wins. The Nuggets ever going to get here? Do they need to get to this level that all three of these teams seem to be at? And do you see the Nuggets? So you look in your crystal ball and you project four or five years down the line. Are we a long way away, not just from development, but from personnel, from being in, in this in this stratosphere? Uh, well, how long have uh, Durant and Westbrook been at it? I mean, they've been yeah, at this for a while now. And, yeah, they made the, the finals before, and obviously they've been this good for a minute. 27 and 26 or something. It maybe, took or them it like took them 3 or 4 years right. to They've go been ahead playing and for 6 or 7 years and now. get decent. To get decent. 
it took them it took them three or four seasons together. I mean, we're at year one because technically, and I don't know that they've been historic. I mean, they've been having some very good teams, but I think they're at a level now that they've as high as they've ever been. At I least agree with you. I agree with you, and and because of that, it, it takes a while even for teams that are together to be really good. Steph Curry got in this league. What was that? The two thousand. Eight or nine? Nine draft? Nine. 2009. So in 2009, now we're, okay, so we're, you know, that's seven, eight years you're yeah. talking about in the league to get to this point. It took them six to get to the, the finals and win it. Right. So you're looking at second contracts. Right. And Moutier, if we're in the Moutier Jokic era or the Moutier Jokic era, then. Maybe. Uh, yeah, that's, who knows? Yeah, but if we are, it's year one of that. Right. Okay, so you've got a couple of years unless you want to try to short circuit it and add some really good players. Trade for a star, back him up with these guys until they can take over. Uh, that all depends on Connolly and what he thinks he can pull off. I th- I think that the the Nuggets could get there, but if if they want to get there, I think that it requires trading for a superstar player, a uh, young superstar player. Uh, yeah, someone whose name rhymes with uh, Hemi Butler. Oh, jeez, <laughs> or there. something like that. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, I think that if they were able to trade for a young star like that and really get some star players on their team, um, it's not going to take. It's not going to be next season. It's not going to be two seasons. But I think in three or four seasons, I think that the Nuggets have a plan on how to get there. I think that they're going to be looking for opportunities to aggressively pursue that plan and and make the best of their opportunities. And I think that if they are patient and they do things the right way and they get lucky. Uh, that things will break their way. Uh, when you look at the the Warriors team, I think there is a fair amount of luck. You know, th- a lot of hard work that they right. put into it, but they really got the be- they made uh, the best out of the situation, and they're a historic team. And I don't think four years ago you could have predicted that the Warriors would be this good. I mean, look at Andrew Bogut, who had some horrible injuries and is still able to be a contributor. Right. I don't think they would have been planning on Andre Iguodala to be such a key factor. On their team four years ago. Well, in every, but it, you put yourself in a situation to succeed, and you make smart decisions. And when an opportunity to improve your team dramatically appears, you know you haven't made bad decisions, so you're able to put yourself right. into that situation and, and make the most out of it. And I think if the Nuggets, uh, you know, are, are patient and build with Michael Malone and Tim Connolly, and you know players like Emmanuel Moody and Nikola Jokic, I think that they'll be able to be in that position where. If they're able to make that kind of a move, they can they can take it, and we can see the Nuggets become a, a great team. Well, and that's that's something. You look at all the teams that we talked about; all those teams were lucky. Okay, you had you, you had yeah, it does you had Durant and Westbrook and the Beard in in back to back to back years. You know, they managed to snag Ibaka. You know, in in what was it, the second round for Ibaka? Twenty uh, fourth pick. Yeah, wait. Late. Right, okay. right after Costa Cupos. Yes, exactly. Um, you had you know, the Warriors wound up with you know the seventh pick, the seventh pick, the thirty fifth pick, and all those guys turned into genius, dynamic players. Yeah. Cleveland won the lottery again a couple <laughs> of times after LeBron left in order to get him to, to come back. To come, right. You know, if you win the lottery three times in four years, you're doing okay. There might be some luck involved. So it's it, when you look at, at how these teams have been put together, you can't say, well, we should be doing that. Well, you, you can't do that. If you keep the seventh pick and the seventh pick and the whatever, you better hope that it turns out like Golden State. Well, right now we're running with the seventh pick and the 40th pick for Jokic. 
Uh, so far, those are two. So far, so good. So far, those are so really good players. Yeah. What happens if the Warriors pull the trigger on the Kevin Love trade? Yeah, just this or last offseason. They even tried to get the White Correct. At one they tried point. to get him in free agency. Uh, they were. It was between the Lakers, right? Or for Dwight? For Dwight. Uh, it might have been the Houston. Oh, year. for Houston. Yeah, okay. Houston yeah, but you know, how how are the how so are the Warriors look right now if they had Dwight Howard on the end of his contract? Or if they traded like us Curry for, for Melo, as was talked about briefly. Right. That came up that year. Uh, you have to make sure that the trades that you wanted to make, you didn't make. There's a lot of luck. It's fine. I think that the Nuggets are in a really good position. They're in the same sort of position that they were when they went ahead and traded for Iguodala in the sense that they have a lot of nice pieces. They don't have any big mistakes. They don't have any huge contracts. You're doing all right. And then Iguodala didn't want to stay. All if right. Iguodala had stayed, the Golden State Warriors wouldn't have won a championship. You know, um, right. if Gallo didn't get injured, we would have still been really good. Right. That we just didn't get lucky. So w- now we've rebooted. It took us a couple of years to figure it out. And now we're back on track to go ahead and try to get lucky. Well, let's wrap it up, guys. I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, been tremendous writers at the site all year. One year anniversary, basically. Basically. You Thank you. The whole year. So it's been great having you guys on the site. Check us out, of course, at, at denverstiffs.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And if you have time, go ahead and give us a rating. Until then, we'll see you next week. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon.